another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, and I am very excited to tell you during today's episode about a resource that I have just launched, so get ready to hear all about that. If you are on the list for the weekly e-newsletter, you saw this in what got sent out on July 14th. And if you're not on the list for the weekly e-newsletter, head to the show website, nhte.net, and pop in your email address so that you start receiving that. After no in-person gatherings last summer, 2020, or this past January, there certainly has to be some curiosity as to what things look like on the other side of a worldwide pandemic that kept people around the globe locked inside, including musicians who suddenly had no gigs, no venues to go to, and certainly a monumental challenge of, can I continue to sustain a career in this industry? Not to mention, with so many businesses impacted by what we all went through, how did they alter their operations to keep going? Two weeks ago, I was in Nashville at the Summer NAM Show, and in this special episode, I will be presenting views on the state of the music industry, including insights from Joe Lamond, the president and CEO of the National Association of Music Merchants, affectionately known as NAM, as well as guests that he welcomed on stage during the opening session, representing manufacturers, merchants, etc. And you'll hear from an artist who sat down with me in Music City to give me his perspective on coming through the pandemic. Before we start to hear from all those different quote-unquote guests, let me play for you first a little bit of what Joe Lamond, NAM president and CEO, had to say in his remarks during the opening session, his 2021 State of the Industry Address. Today, ultimately, as we think about the future, we are going to be building a stronger ecosystem of music makers. And the last year proved when people are tested, they turn to music, as they always have. Our work is vital. So thank you again for being a part of that vision, and uh, I think it's got a great future. You know, I believe that uh, our role, our end zone for this event was to bring everyone back together again, the first time since the pandemic started. I mean, we're an association. You know, we help people associate. But everything's different from 2019. Everything's different from January of 2020. And that's why we thought it was so important to put a stake in the ground and be together. You know, we could talk about everything that's happened and and each one of you would have these amazing stories that will be captured forever, but there's never enough time for that. We would take a whole week to hear your stories. And the main thing that we think about is we want to go and go forward. But what has changed is you. You think about you as a person two years ago, you as a person 18 months ago in Anaheim, think about our parents, our grandparents, what they went through, depressions, wars, what they lived through, the greatest generation. Well, when I look at us now, the survivors, (laughs) I actually see the most hardened group of generals. And ladies and gentlemen, I think you are the new greatest generation. So to you who have survived this incredible. I think you're going to look at the world differently. I know I do, right? I mean, all of you who have been through this in your companies and have led the way through this, there's going to be a day 
a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, there's going to be a day where someone comes into your office and says, boss, we have a big problem. We have a crisis on our hands. What are you going to say? You're going to say crisis? Problem? Sit down. Let me tell you what a real crisis looks like. (laughs) And then you're going to talk about 2020 and 2021. So you had to literally close shop. You had to lock up your business. You had government mandates to say you could do this and couldn't do that. Many of you reinvented your business. Curbside pickup, whoever heard of that. You found new ways to support your customers. Talked to Myrna Sislin last night. She was delivering sheet music on a bicycle. You know, you went through some of those unexpected opportunities and created maybe some of the most unbelievable customer loyalty you could have ever done. So you are the new greatest generation, and I salute you. I think we have been through a lot. I don't want to let a crisis go to waste. One of my fears is we forget the lessons of this last 18 months, that we go back and we pick up where we left off. My fear is we forget all the things we've learned. And I want to make sure we don't do that. Because I think the worst thing would have been to have gone through this and not recognize the inflection point we are at with our industry. The industry is changing. And we are now going to come out of this looking completely different. Everything is different. While we are in that audio, I want to move through the various individuals that Joe brought to the stage. But once we get through all of them, before I give you my conversation with the artist I talked to in Nashville, you will want to hear an announcement that I will share with you that was made just prior to the Summer NAM show. But moving on to other voices from the industry, the first guest that Joe Lamond brought on stage was none other than Sammy Ash, the chief operating officer from Sam Ash Music, who shared this with Joe and the audience. Well, the first thing we had to get over was ourselves. Mm. You know, we're all mired in this, what are we going to do? Customers can't come in. And then the stores start closing. Mm. And the next thing I know is 85% of my company is shut down. So we had to get our mindset positive, like we will get out of this. It will happen. We will take care of it. But we still have this thing in our heart that I have a thousand people on furlough. That was very tough. And I've worked with these people in some cases 20 and 30 years. So that was tough. So the, once we started trying to say, okay, we can make this work, then we had to start looking at inventory. It was a clearinghouse, hoping to get more. So there's, was, to give you an idea, I don't really know. We were reacting. We were first reacting. We weren't acting. Oh, what do you do? Okay, this is happening. Stores are closing. Mail order suddenly shooting up. Mm-hmm. Can we handle this increase? We did. Uh, it was one of the saving graces is that our mail order business, our online business went up by three times. Yeah. Can we ship out in time? Can we meet that challenge? And that was a big one for us. Mm. And it was great until the inventory started to <laughs> shrink again. So we were living off of the reserves. <clears throat> it's very simple. If I had more gear, I could sell more gear. It's, yeah. it's right down to that. Uh, certain things did develop that were great. Profits went up because deals went down. Mm-hmm. If you had an instrument, you sold it. Since everybody was buying everything, yeah. we moved stuff that normally wouldn't have moved. 
Certain high-end instruments that we took a shot at, gone. I don't have a high-end instrument. I don't have a high-end instrument. I'll leave it at that. You used the phrase that your guitar wall looked like the toilet paper aisle at Costco last April. (laughs) You know, I was in my Nashville store yesterday, and they did an admirable job making the store look healthy. Yeah. But when 30%, 35% of your inventory is not there, yeah. no matter what you do, you have empty walls, empty slat wall. You know, they're smart enough to take the hooks down of the instruments that you don't have. But there were people saying, I heard Sandwich Music is in trouble because you walk into their stores, they look like they're going out of business. Yeah. It made us have to make a sign stating we're really sorry about the lack of inventory but this is a universal thing please yeah. bear with us but when you walk into a Samish music store and you see normally 500, 600 guitars and you walk in and you see 75 to 100 I don't blame them for thinking that I'm in trouble Yeah, but we're not <laughs> the company is 96 years old I want it to be here so my sons can say our company is 120 years old. <laughs> yeah. And the only way to do that is, is this interaction. Dealing with your customers, understanding that they are your life force. Yeah. That without them, you are nothing. And I think we met the challenge. I really yeah. would like to think that. Joe Lamond was next joined on stage by Laura Penrose from Nick Rail Music and Penrose Strings. And here is some of what she talked about from her place in the industry. The first six months, we compared it to drinking from the fire hose. That There was so much information. It was so much growth, but really fun. And I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. Everything's wonderful. Uh, Nick was by my side. through All of it was great. Uh, we were planning the six-month anniversary. I was hiring food trucks to come to all the stores. And then the governor shut everything down. Yeah. It was like, cancel the trucks. Um, and then it was kind of like drinking from Niagara Falls. It was challenging, but kind of taking it one day at a time yeah. and hoping things got better. Our first year was really hard. So almost three months to the day after buying the business, we lost Lucky Harms, who was yeah. a huge integral part of our business. Yeah. So he passed away of a heart attack the last day of NAM. Three months later, almost to the day, we closed our store. And then a couple months later, we had some other key employees have some problems and leave. And so we're trying to pick up all these pieces. And it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And all through the buying of the business process, you know, talking with banks and things like that, they're like, well, what are you going to do? The economy's bad. I'm like, oh, well, everyone rents when the economy's bad. People buy when the economy's good. And they were like, that sounds like a great plan. But we did not plan for when the economy stops. And the fact that schools closed was ridiculous. And so when that happened, we, the majority of our business is based on rental income. And when schools closed, that rental income was gone. So we did a huge 180 in the mindset of our stores. So all of, we have seven stores and they all pretty much were rental hubs that just focus on that. And we quickly were like, everyone, we are doing training. We're doing sales training, product training, management training, leadership training. And about, um, for almost 12 to 15 weeks, once a week, we had trainings to get everyone up to speed on, okay, you have to get customer's information. We're going to do email campaigns. We're going to do call campaigns, all these things that had never really been focused on. And it was hard. Our staff, we really pushed our staff to change the entire way they had thought of their jobs. 
and it it was challenging. They, for the most part, stepped up to the task, but it was that was really hard. And they didn't even know me. I'm they met me for six months, and I'm like, hey, your whole job you've been doing forever. I'm gonna do totally different now. So good luck. Yeah. No, it was it was challenging, but it was good. Our road reps basically their jobs ended. They didn't. They weren't allowed on school campuses. The teachers weren't answering the phone calls because they didn't even know what their programs would be like. Um, so we put them in the store. We started restructuring some of our standard events. So instead of, you know, in-person rental nights, we were doing drive-through rental nights. We were hosting spirit nights at the store for the schools where the schools could get a percentage back like they do at restaurants. Um, we really tried to be creative to keep things familiar, but within the confines that we were allowed. The third guest that Joe Lamond brought out that morning was Jamie Deering, the CEO of the Deering Banjo Company, and this is an excerpt from that onstage conversation that those of us in attendance heard that morning. The best way to, to share it is I've been through pretty much everything a CEO would possibly experience in their entire career in 12 months. It has been quite the game, yeah. and keeping it that mentality is the only way my team got through. Yeah. It's been, you know, not only that, but becoming a medical expert and a law expert all at the same time. Yeah. yeah, I know I'm not the only one that's had to do that, but my goodness, that was one of the hardest times any of us on my team have had to go through. I actually wasn't even in the country mm. when California shut down. I was in South Africa. I have close family friends there that I go visit and... California shut down while I was there. I made it out of the country three hours before they shut down all the flights. Wow. So that was hard, uh, but I'm very proud of our team. We, we handled it, and yeah. there was a lot of emotion, but we, we had the focus of whatever happens, we're going to work our butts off and survive as a group How and as a company. How did you know that? How? How did you know that? You just basically said, we will get through this. It was... Put a stake in the ground and, and made everybody believe that. How did you do that? It wasn't just me. We have a good team. Mm. Like, yes, that was me. That was my motivation. That was my core of yeah. momentum. But having a team like we do, that, that we have grown together... Yeah is a big part of that. I mean, my folks never gave up in all the years. Banjos is not an easy industry, and they never gave up, and I watched that my whole life. That is inbred in me, so that that came through strong. We shut down, and nine of us stayed on to handle, you know, the things we knew we had to handle. March, you know, is our year-end for fiscal needs, so we had to finish all of that, even though we had to shut down. And we had a supply of Banjos already built. We always have always kept what we call a supermarket, so... We started getting orders like crazy. You know, some of our dealers that are mom and pop, you know, home family businesses started shipping out of their garage instead of their stores. So they're like, can you ship this stuff at home? And we'll send it out to customer online orders. And we realized quickly how many people are relying on us to stay afloat. They can't just go get unemployment. And um, so we made it our mission, a little tiny team of us to, to ship out and, yeah. and help those people survive. And then you had to start making new ones. Then we had to start making new ones. And we got a week away from having nothing left to ship out really? when California let manufacturing open again. Wow. We were so lucky. It was kind of everyone's at home didn't have anything to do. We got so many calls from people who 
wow, I, I have nothing to do. I got my banjo out for the first time in a year. How do I tune it? We got wow. all kinds of customer calls and then all kinds of new customer orders yeah. and dealers because people were doing the things they've always wanted to do. And it was their joy. And that was what was getting them through. It was almost their therapy. Yeah. And that was the, once we brought all of our crew back, that was our momentum. Let's provide for all the people that need this yeah. in their life right now yeah. to get them through this hard time. And that's where we started doing our tech lives on social media because yeah. we didn't have all our festivals. We didn't have all the ways we would interact with our people and our community and educate and answer their questions. And so we started, you know, taking all the customer service emails we were getting on how to maintain their banjos at home wow. and answer them live where they could then ask more questions live. Wow. And that was hugely appreciated. We got so many thank yous for starting yeah. that. And in a year like this where you're going through hell and maybe like for us, you know, we have come through in a, in a good place with not without all of the challenges. When you talk to your fellow you know, industry colleagues, you know, uh, even if they're making a different instrument or the same instrument and you hear that they're going through the same challenges, yeah. that's really therapeutic. Yeah. And also to maybe get ideas on how they handled it or share ideas of how you handled it, it helps everyone keep going and surviving. There are two more guests of Joe Lamont's from that morning that I want you to hear insights from. But first, let me pause here long enough to thank Shalise Zalezi, the guest from way back on episode 158 of the show and her team for making my job easier getting into and around the 2021 Summer NAM show in Nashville. I'm grateful for the opportunity to do this and for the relationship that I've built with NAM going back to January 2017. I will put a link on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, but do check out nam.org to learn more about the organization and all that they do all year round and to engage with them on social media. They are very active on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And by the way, the Winter NAM show will take place January 20th to 23rd, 2022 at the Anaheim Convention Center in California. I also would like to take this opportunity to tell you about a brand new website that I have launched at interviewtipscourse.com. If you are a musician, singer, songwriter, recording artist, etc., or heck, even if you're, say, in some other facet of the industry, or you're an author, a small business owner, an actor, comedian, some line of work where you are getting interviewed on TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, etc., or think you should be getting interviewed, getting booked for one or more interviews is only half the work. In this course that I've launched, I'm giving you close to 30 tips to maximize the opportunity so you get results from being interviewed, whether that means more sales, more bookings, whatever the outcome is that you're hoping for. And I've even included a module that has more than 15 different sources that can be used to get leads to potentially get more guest bookings. It's all online, so you go at your own pace with the videos as well as corresponding handouts in convenient downloadable PDF documents. Go to interviewtipscourse.com to get started so that you can start benefiting more from being a guest on the shows you get booked on. Getting back to the opening session and the guests that NAM President and CEO Joe Lamond was bringing out on stage, the second-to-last guest of his was Chris Martin from CF Martin & Co., but also the outgoing chair of NAM, and here's what he had to say. 
you know, I've, I've been a student of my family's business, and I learned a lot from what worked and what didn't work. And one of the things, you know, I'll give a museum tour, and I'll get to a point and I'll say, and then my family hit a wall. Something wasn't working. And, and they stopped trying to drive through the wall and figured out, maybe we should just drive around it. You know, that's... Sometimes you have to hit the wall a couple times to realize, no, yeah. it's impenetrable. It's yeah. time to, to find a different direction. That's the way I felt when I became CEO. It's like, under my watch, this thing is not going away. You know, Joe, I, I said something when I was interviewed, and I, I didn't finish the sentence. I've seen these booms, and they're generally fueled by music or, and or musicians, and usually both. Yeah. In this case, I said, I think this boom is fueled by boredom. And instead of putting a period there, what I should have said, and I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. And I think I am, because I don't, I think people are, most people are going to stick with it. I have had some conversations with folks that said some of these COVID, you know, bought on the internet guitars yeah. are going to end up in the closet or under the bed. Yeah. So that's our job, is what are we, what are we trying to do? More to More start, to start and fewer, fewer to, quit. to quit. I've been thinking about retirement. My father retired under duress, and my grandfather forgot to retire. <laughs> so I didn't want to follow either of those paths. And then, you know, experiencing XCOM, I realized that it was such an honor to have that opportunity. How could I top that? Yeah. You know, to, to say after I'm done with this fantastic honor that was bestowed upon me, to go back and do it all over again? Yeah. It's like, no, it's, it's time for me to, to be a mentor. At the peak of my dad's career, folk music, right, then folk rock, so late 70s, right before disco and the DX7, we sold 23,000 Martin guitars. And three years later, we struggled to sell 3,000 Martin guitars, and that's the company I took over. Wow. 3,000 guitars, and, they, and people will say, you know, those Martins from the 70s, eh. And so I was like, wait a minute. It's not so much about how many guitars we're making. We've got to make the best guitars we can. And that resonated with my colleagues in the shop. They're like, okay, Chris wants us, it's not about the volume, it's about the quality. Because if we don't have the quality, we're not going to get the volume. And I can't remember exactly how this comment went, but it was, it's something about a good brand is only as good as the products yeah. that the brand represents. You read stories about when new leadership comes in, they think they have a better plan. Yeah. And it's like, you may, but you may want to find out what the lay of the land is first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the last person brought out on stage during the opening session was Barbara White, the CFO from Taylor Guitars. Let's listen now to some of what she shared. Many of you may know on December 31st, Taylor became 100% employee owned. Yeah. All of our employees yeah. <laughs> around the world are actually owners of Taylor Guitars yeah. now. Wow. 1,300 people are creating the capital for their future. Yeah. So it was a challenge to go through, um, and it was an interesting process because Bob and Kurt realized as the founders that... They had put in place a strong management succession plan, but you need organizational succession yeah. and transition. And they wanted Taylor Guitars to be what it is 100 years from now. Yeah. We've been planning it for years, and then when the pandemic hit, honestly, we shelved the plan. Yeah. 
Because during the pandemic, none of us could do anything but manage the crisis. That was the truth. And we had not told our employees or anybody in the industry. So we said, okay, let's just shelf this. Let's get through this crisis and then we'll bring it back out. Well, you know, we all know what happened with the demand for our instruments and everything. And so as it went forward, we discovered, you know what? About September, we realized we can make this happen after all. And so we sort of crashed the projects. Normally, yeah. it takes about a year, and we did it in three months. Wow. But we didn't do it from the start in three months because we'd been working on it all along. And yeah. we thought, what better way to start 2021 than to bring our employees back and on their first or second day back be able to say to them, you are the new owner <laughs> of Taylor Guitars. For us, it was probably the hardest year we've ever had in business. And we lost three employees to COVID. Very young employees who that shouldn't have happened. They didn't contract it at Taylor, but they contracted it. And we lost them and that they're part of the Taylor family, you know? And so they didn't get to participate in this joy that we presented in January to everybody. Um, We've brought their families in and everything to to participate in that, but it, it is a challenge. And We've worked with companies that are very successful and dealers that are doing well, and others said it was a real yeah. so hard that some won't recover. We had musical instrument companies that, you know, after the initial pandemic, all of a sudden we're having the best year, record years ever. And then anyone involved in live music or concerts or festivals or schools were not. So it was very difficult. It's like talking in wartime about we won the war. But I'm sorry, ma'am, you lost your children. Or something where you've talked about great loss. And so yeah. I think we're still going through that. And by the way, this is not over by a long shot. We are still, I'm yeah. not sure if we're in the bottom of the seventh or top of the ninth inning here. This is not over yet. And we're going to get through it together. But we need to almost come up with some common language of how we respect the losses, yet celebrate that the industry sort of won on this one. Before I get to the artist conversation I had at Summer Nam when I was in Nashville two weeks ago, Earlier, I promised you I would be sharing an announcement that came out of the event, or actually preceded it technically. That news was that Joe Lamond, who you've been hearing me refer to several times throughout this episode, recently shared his intention to step down as the leader of the 120-year-old trade association that is NAM. This will be effective spring 2023. He has served at the helm of NAM for the past 20 years, and will work with the NAM Executive Committee over the next two years to ensure a smooth transition of leadership for the association, the NAM show, and Summer NAM, and its other member activities. And to move into the final phase of this episode, I mentioned that I was able to sit down with an artist in Nashville to ask specifically about getting through the pandemic from his part of the industry in the context of what all had been discussed in the opening session that you've been hearing excerpts from so far in this episode. So let me now bring you that conversation that I had just under two weeks ago on location in Music City. I'm with my old friend Justin Emmerd, who has previously made appearance on this show, and I will have a link to that episode on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Justin Emmerd at Summer Nam. It's surprising to see you here. You're always at Winter Nam. Yeah, pleasant surprise to be here. This is your first Summer Nam, yes? First Summer Nam in Nashville. I went in 07, the one year they had it in Austin. But this is like my, my first time back since. Okay, and so unfortunately, we have to talk about 2020, but it's good that we right now are talking about it, past tense. Let's hope that it stays in the past. 
but nobody was prepared for it. You have undergone some changes. Walk us through what 2020 looked like just for Justin Emmert. I know you're going to talk a little bit about Love in the 38, which is the band that we talked about the last time that you are on the show. But what did it look like for you once the pandemic set in? Uh, it was rough. I mean, the week after the pandemic actually shut down like the whole world, uh, we had a show booked. I had advocacy work in Sacramento to do that obviously got canceled too. So especially right in the immediate after effect of the pandemic, there was a lot of stuff coming up on the calendar that, you know, immediately just got canceled. So that was a big adjustment period to be like, oh, like this is just non-existent now. Well, and especially because you're based in California and California might have been the number one state in the country in terms of we are going like hardcore lockdown. So don't even think of, never mind playing a show, but don't even think about leaving your house. It almost seemed like in California. Yeah, there was a period that like even hiking trails out there got uh, got shut down. So like wow. it was like a very hard quarantine. So this is going to sound like an extreme question, but because we all deal with varying levels of pressure, with sadness, with reality, was there ever a point where because of the pandemic, you considered maybe I might be done with music or is that the, was that the further thing from your mind and you just kind of went the other way and said, I just got to pivot? There was definitely a period early on where I did feel that for a minute because, you know, especially with the way the shutdown was so hard, um, you know, I wasn't getting together with my groups, uh, both bands, like, you know, we were following orders to the best of our ability. So like we weren't meeting and working together. Uh, so there was a brief here was like, is, is this it? Mm. Uh, but that was quickly hit with a firm realization of who I am as a person and what music means to me and who I am. And so that was a very fleeting idea. Uh, and it, then it was just like back to the grind and just really spending that time working on my craft. I was going to say, I was going to ask you, okay, so what did you do? But I have to ask you from the business standpoint, you're someone that chooses music as the means for putting money in your pocket. So what did you do to not only continue on with music, but to all of a sudden find a way financially to say, I'm going to continue on it as an artist, even though there's no shows that can be played? Yeah, I mean, just to, just to stay relevant, there was a lot of live streaming going on uh, just to be relevant and keep our name out there with people. But more, more than that, it was really about giving people a space to feel some sense of normalcy. Uh, you know, there was a lot of times where people are just talking amongst themselves in our live stream chats uh, just because they hadn't seen each other since, like, the last show from before the pandemic. Uh so for that, it, it was really a realization of what music is and, like, the role a band has. That even if it is your concert, like, it's not always the focus. That there's other intangibles that go along with a concert. And a lot of that is the community. And I think especially at a place like Nam, like, we understand the idea of music as a community probably more than anywhere else. I was going to say, you're a great artist to have on this episode of Now Hear This Entertainment as the voice of the artists and what the artists went through during the pandemic because there is a bridge between Justin Emmerd and the NAM community because of so much work that you do with them in terms of advocacy. So were you able to be active with advocacy for NAM during the pandemic or was it Bruce? You know everything was shut down, <laughs> including that. 
Uh, there was still some. There wasn't as much. Uh, I think there was a lot of focus that got shifted as far as advocacy goes because there was just so much in the world of music that was changed financially that there was a lot of like relief that was going on that we had to get focus on. Um, and a lot of that also plays into my new role with the Recording Academy. And there was a lot of stuff that we were doing in the same vein as NAM to get relief funds and get those checks out to the gig economist workers to make sure that they got their relief funds. So there was a lot of advocacy in a lot of different aspects that still kept me pretty engaged and pretty busy during during the shutdown. What is this new role that you have with the Recording Academy? So I was actually put in to the class of 2020, which was pretty wild. Uh, but I'm a voting member of the Recording Academy as part of the Los Angeles chapter. Uh, so I am part of their advocacy efforts, voting for the Grammys. Uh, and that was also a very encouraging, motivating moment during the pandemic where there wasn't a lot of activity, mm. not a lot of action going on. But when they sent me that email saying, congratulations, you are now part of the Academy, uh, your card is in the mail. That was like Outstanding. one of the coolest moments I've, I've had in a long time, especially going from such lack of anything going on yeah. to have something peak the needle the way that did. That was an incredible rush. And it's, it's been an honor to be part of. And, you know, they've got a great advocacy wing that's been really great to work with. Obviously, I've only been in for one summer at this point, but I am encouraged and just motivated and really excited to work with them because a lot of their advocacy work is on the the side of the artists and the industry. So it's it's a great bridge and it really complements the work I do with NAM because obviously politicians are the same. So I'm going into these meetings already knowing my representatives, I see. I see. and I get to work and fight for the kids with NAM, and then I get to work and fight for my peers with the academy. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. you. And you said something in there that I want to follow back up on, which is I know that you, just as an artist, you underwent a different change that you were telling me about off-air, and I want to put it, quote-unquote, on tape, which is you tell me about a little trip that you made during the pandemic and a change that that had on you as a creator. Yeah, so shortly before the pandemic, uh, half of my band, uh, me and my singer Ryan, we've got a side project going with the original bass player for 1130, Daniel. And uh, the gig that got canceled right as the pandemic hit was going to be our second gig as, as an active band. But during the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of questionable moments of like I can't get like a spark because the whole process was changed you know you, you record music you promote it you go do shows to promote it you sell merchandise and that whole process and workflow was changed but for the last couple of years photography has been a really fun outlet for me to do something that's still creative but just a little bit different than music and uh, astrophotography is something that's always interested me uh, as a medium and with, you know, gigging and rehearsals and recording schedules, it never came to fruition to be able to actually give it a shot. And with the pandemic, that was a silver lining for me was to express myself creatively in a different way. And so I went to Joshua Tree and did some Milky Way photography. And I came back to work on some music with the Pride. 
and I was just writing differently and approaching songs and bass lines differently. Mm. And I think a lot of that has to do with thinking outside the box with the way astrophotography is compared to, you know, shooting cityscapes or landscapes, portraits, whatever. The idea of shooting at night is such a different process and approach that it forced my brain to think differently. So, so I was cool. able to approach the songwriting process differently, and I'm really, really happy with the work that I was able to put down on tape so for, cool. for The Pride. So cool. And for the audience, Justin said The Pride. The Pride is the name of the new band that he has formed while still being part of 11 to 38, but understand when he's saying The Pride, that's the name of the other band. We heard Joe Lamont and his comrades in the Nam family talking about that contrary to what somebody might think 2020 was actually a very good year in terms of sales in the music industry people were buying up gear mail order sales were up etc what were you hearing from other artists were other artists spending all kinds of money on getting more gear because they were doing everything at home or were there people that were saying i'm done what what were you hearing from other people in your community i was seeing a lot of both uh, I would say it was probably pretty close to a 50-50 split. There was a lot of people that I knew that were just like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm done. Uh, but there was a lot of people that pushed through and was like, okay, if home recordings and home streaming is the way I got to go to continue and have something on the back end of this, then so be it. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, and fortunately for Love and the 38 and the Pride, we actually share a room because half the band is in half the other band. Uh, so we've just split our room. And uh, we've always been recording ourselves. Uh, so we didn't have to spend any extra money on anything because we've, we've been doing it this way for so long. Uh, so I do feel like, in a, in a way, we are also kind of primed to survive and weather the storm in that way. Final question. I'm going to put you on the spot. This is a rather challenging question. I'm hearing Justin and I, of course, are sitting here in Nashville. Justin lives in California. I live in Tampa, Florida. I'm hearing that back in Florida, this was a couple of days ago, they were saying that the COVID numbers in Florida are up, I believe, 48%. And we've been hearing a lot about this bizarre variant that's out there, strain, whatever it's called. And so there's always a threat that it might come back. So my question to you is, what did you learn during the pandemic that if unfortunately something comes back around again and we're all forced back into quarantine and there's this national and or international pandemic, how are you now prepared if something like this is to happen again so that you don't have to say, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. We've never gone through anything like this. Yeah, I think exactly what you said. I think the I think experience is experience. And having gone through this now, uh, I know what type of schedule to be on as far as, you know, exercising when I can, doing what I can to stay active, keeping my brain sharp. Uh, for me, honestly, this pandemic was a great time to explore creatively. I think once you're in this rhythm and cycle of recording and practicing and writing, there's a lot of exploring that you don't really get to do anymore that you know in your more formative years you spend a lot of time woodshedding and going over scales and like really understanding a composition and a lot of that gets lost when you have to be on a deadline for rehearsals or shows or tours whatever uh so this was a great time for me to really delve in and like get into some you know deep dives on youtube and really explore the base in mm. a way that i haven't in a long time wow. so it was, it was a really great way 
once I got past the initial adjustment of like this is the way life is going to be for a while, uh, I was able to you know really get intimate with bass and music and musicality again, and that's something that you know I think the best way about going anything in life is to try and find that silver lining. What whatever you can do to make the best of a bad situation. And for me, being able to sit down and really get deep into music the way I did as a kid in the classroom, that was the silver lining for me. So it sounds to me like you're saying that as much as none of us ever want to have to go through the pandemic again, if it does rear its ugly head and come back around, I don't want to say you'll embrace it, but you're ready for it and you're going to say, that's okay, I know exactly what I need to do and I'm not going to be bothered by the fact that I can't go out and perform live because I've got a lot of other options that I already know about that I can immediately activate. Exactly. Great, great. Justin, always good to see you. Thanks for your time. Enjoyed having you back on Now Here This Entertainment. Always great to see you again. Thank you. So there you have it for the state of the industry from the perspective of the 2021 Summer NAM show and some of the notable people who were on hand in Nashville for that event approximately two weeks ago. And that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks again to Shalise Zalezi and everyone involved from the PR and media side of NAM for the access I needed to be on location to bring you what you've just heard, as well as the interviews that you'll hear over the next few episodes, the next few weeks of NHTE. Remember, learn more about the National Association of Music Merchants at nam.org. They do have social media accounts you can utilize to follow them that way, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Of course, the Winter NAM Show 2022 comes up in January in Anaheim, California. Don't forget about the new website I've just launched at interviewtipscourse.com. Get on there to start into learning how to not only find more interview opportunities, but more importantly, how to maximize those so that you get a better return on the time you invest getting booked for and then actually being a guest on radio, TV, podcast, and other interviews. There are close to 30 tips that I've presented in the course, along with corresponding documents you can download for handy reference, plus the module with more than 15 different sources to get leads to potentially get more interviews. Again, that's interviewtipscourse.com. Get started now. That will do it for episode 390. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment.